What an honor it is to see everybody in the room, a good-looking group today, and honored to have you here. This is our South Metro Atlanta campus, our broadcast campus, and here's what that means. We're one church in multiple locations, so we've got a rowdy bunch of people in the room today. Come on, that's all of you. And then 700 miles from here is our Germantown, Maryland campus family. We welcome all of you today, meeting in person tonight. And then we've got a fantastic online campus as well. So can we do this? Can we welcome everybody in Germantown and welcome everybody watching online? Come on, literally around the world. Thank you for tuning in. And then also we want to give honor to the incredibly brave military men and women and all of the courageous first responders. I always ask you to honor them and of all of the applause of appreciation that we give to individuals, I think that it's appropriate. This is the highest applause of appreciation to say thank you to those who literally risk their lives to serve and protect ours. Come on, can you do that now, Go Church family? Come on, we honor you, thank you. Good. And uh, we're going to jump right into it. So this is the, the beginning of a brand new series that we're doing here. Uh, we're studying through the book of Jonah, and uh, we're calling this entire series A Man on the Run, A Man on the Run. And so if you got your Bibles, I'd love with, to join with you in reading uh, the first chapter of Jonah today. We're going to go through each chapter over the next few weeks. And, and here, here's what I believe. I believe that almost every person... Uh, at least in, in our country, has heard of the story of Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and that big old fish. Even people that, that didn't grow up in church or they're new to faith, uh, the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the fish ha have been told in almost every type of setting. And so a lot of people have heard the story. If you've not heard the story yet, uh, you're in for a real treat. It's quite the tale. Come on now, get it? No pun intended there. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy journeying with us through all of the chapters of Jonah over the next few weeks, and uh, it's going to be great. Now, I think what a lot of people consider about the book of Jonah or the story of Jonah and the well, that, that God allowed a big old fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah stayed in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I think a lot of people question the, the validity of this story. Did this story actually happen? I mean, is it humanly possible for a fish, a big fish, to swallow a human and for that human being to survive in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights? I think it's a fair question. If I'm being honest with you, there are stories in the Bibles that I read, and I'm like, come on now. But if we are believers in Christ Jesus, if we're sons and daughters of Jesus, not only do we believe stories like that, but we believe that God sent his son to this earth. Jesus was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And three days later, Jesus came back from the dead. So that, that's a pretty powerful story. And talking about Jesus, Jesus' words in Matthew 12 were recorded. Jesus actually, he talked about this story in Jonah. And here's what he said, Jesus speaking. He said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So I'm telling you that while this story seems to be far-fetched, it's incredibly powerful and it's incredibly real. And all throughout this series, we're going to learn a couple of things. I'm going to give you today some historical context on the book of Jonah. I don't want to give you a history lesson, but I think it's really important to give you some, some background and context of what we're about to read. And then, like each Sunday... I'll do my best to give you some practical application. So what are some things that we can learn from this particular book that we could practically apply 
to our own life. So I encourage you again, get something to write down some notes or thoughts with. Let's start in, uh, in the book of Jonah. Let's look at a, a little bit of uh, historical context here. So the book's not very long. It's only four chapters in length. Uh, you could probably read the entire book in 15, 20 minutes, give or take. And uh, this book, four chapters long, is divided right down the middle. So the first two chapters of the book of Jonah deal with Jonah's disobedience. God gives Jonah some uh, instruction, an assignment, if you will. He tells him to go to the city of Nineveh to preach against the sin of the city. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And in the first two chapters of this four-chapter book, Jonah's like, ain't nobody got time for that. Come on now. Jonah's like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be disobedient. And I'll show you how that plays out in the first chapter in just a moment. In the remaining chapters, chapters three and four, we see that God gets the attention of Jonah. And I can't, I can't afford to get ahead of my thoughts or my, my notes, but I'm going to tell you that anytime we operate in disobedience, it is God's desire to get our attention. And God gets the attention of Jonah, and in the remaining chapters, three and four, the second half of this book is all about Jonah's obedience. Now, the book of Jonah, write this thought down, can be summarized like this. The book of Jonah is about a stubborn man, um, a rebellious nation, but it's also very much about a gracious God. It's about a stubborn man, a rebellious nation, and a gracious, and a gracious God. Now, Jonah, Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was used by God uh, to speak the truth of God's word. And the time that he lived, he was living in Israel. His, his ministry base camp, if you will, was in Israel. And he was alive during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And unlike the other prophets throughout the Bible, both minor and major prophets, Jonah, Jonah had a little stubbornness to him. There was uh, some rebelliousness in his spirit. You're going to see that lived out in chapter number one. Jonah, unlike other prophets, especially with this particular assignment, was very reluctant to do what God was telling him to do, which again, and we'll read it, was to go to the city of Nineveh and preach against their sin. Now, his reluctancy had nothing to do with fear. Jonah wasn't afraid of what he might encounter in the city of Nineveh. He was reluctant, watch this, because he didn't like the people who were living there. That's why some theologians would say that, that, that Jonah might even have been a little bit racist because he didn't like the people that were living in the city of Nineveh. Now, while Jonah is a prophet, and although he's stubborn, Israel's economy in this time is booming. They've expanded their territory. A trade has become a huge part of their economic stability. But on the east side of the desert... Is this, uh, is this nation called Assyria. And Assyria is a nemesis to Israel. The people that lived there were evil. I'm going to show you a verse here in a moment that proves just how evil they were. They were, they were a bunch of bullies. They had attacked Israel repeatedly before. And check this out. The capital city of Assyria, on the count of three, everybody say Nineveh. You ready? One, two, three, Nineveh. It was Nineveh. Uh, there is another prophet, a minor prophet by the name of Nahum. Nahum writes about the destruction of the empire of Assyria in Nahum chapter 3. 
And I'm just going to give you some bullet points of the entire chapter here because it's very wordy. But uh, Nahum writes in a poetic style about the destruction of Assyria. And here's how he defines the capital city of Nineveh. He basically calls Nineveh sin city. And he says, it is a city of blood, a city that is full of lies. He talks about this, and I encourage you to read Nahum 3. He says that there's so many dead bodies that dead bodies are piled on top of other dead bodies, and there's so many dead bodies that people stumble over them in the streets. He says Nineveh is a place that's full of prostitution. It's a disgusting, vile place where they believe in incest and they practice sorcery and witchcraft. To me, it sounds like a city that needs Jesus. Can you give me an amen right there? That needs the truth of God's word. And Jonah is instructed, you're about to see it, to go to the city and preach. And again, his rebellion is not out of fear. He just doesn't believe that God should save disgusting people like that. So if you got your Bible, go to Jonah chapter number one. I'm going to read to you all 17 verses of Jonah 1. This is the entire chapter of Jonah 1. Uh, this might cut into my preaching time just a little bit, but I feel like the words you'll read in this story are far more powerful than any words I could give you this morning. So I'm going to give you the entire chapter today, Jonah chapter number 1, as we study about a man on the run. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Come on, do it again. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Here we go. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Amittai was his dad. His word or his name is the word truth. So Jonah is born of a man of truth. And here's what verse 2 says. Go. Come on, go, church. Go to the great city of Nineveh. There it is. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse number 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed towards Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. Stay in verse number three. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah, instructed by God to go to Nineveh, bought a one-way ticket to a city called Tarshish. Verse number four. Then the Lord, so here's what the Lord did. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm. Everybody on three say storm, one, two, three. A violent storm arose. It was so violent that the ship threatened to break up. All of the sailors were afraid, rightfully so. Each one of them cried out to their own God and they began to throw cargo into the sea, hopefully to lighten the ship. Stay in verse number five. But Jonah, Jonah, Jonah didn't care. Jonah was living in rebellion. He went down to the bottom of the boat. He fell asleep and the captain ran to him in verse number six, you'll see this, and said, man, what's wrong with you? How, how can you sleep through all of this? Get up and call on your God and maybe your God will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Verse seven, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Casting lots in this time was uh, very similar to rolling of dice or flipping a coin in our generation today. And so they cast lots and they were trying to figure out who caused this violent storm and everything pointed at this stubborn prophet. Look at verse number eight. So after they discovered this is Jonah's fault, they said, 
tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And watch what Jonah and how he responded. He said, I am Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Do you? Because you're living in rebellion. Now, this isn't a part of my notes, but I believe the Holy Spirit just put this in my heart to share with you. A lot of people claim to be Christian. Uh-oh, now. Uh, we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. And whenever we're asked, it's like, oh, yeah, I go to such and such church, and, and I, I'm a believer. Are you? Because actions speak louder than, he says, I worship the Lord. But you're in the bottom of a boat living a life of rebellion. He says, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and made the dry land. This terrified all of them that were on the boat. What have you done? And watch this. They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them a few more verses hanging there. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And they asked him, so what do we do? What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says this. He says, all right, here's what you got to do. Pick me up and throw me into the ocean and it will become calm. I know that all of this is my fault. At least now he's recognizing that it is his rebellion that has caused the storm. And he says, once you, once you throw me into the ocean, watch, he says, the storm will become calm. But instead, the men did their very best to try to row back to land, but they couldn't because the sea grew even more wild than before. A few more verses. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. What are they doing? They're, they're repenting because they're about to throw homeboy off the boat. Come on now. Then they, took, yeah, then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the moment that Jonah hit the water, the raging sea grew calm. I don't know what that does to your spirit, but it just reminds me that we serve a powerful God. And at that moment, these men become greatly afraid, not, not an unhealthy fear, but a holy, reverent fear of God. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. In the final verse, here it is, and the Lord provided. I should have highlighted that word provided. I apologize because it's powerful. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. Can we pray together? I feel like praying, is that all right? Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May this word for whoever it is for penetrate to the hearts and the minds and the ears of the people listening, whether in this room, in Germantown, or online, and let us discover truth from this book that would bring about revelation to our own life and how we could apply it to stop living a life of disobedience, but to say yes to whatever you would have us do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is going to be pretty simple, but let me give you the practical side. we got the historical context. Now let me give you some practical application. Pretty great story, right? More than just a children's novel or something that you learned in Sunday school or maybe over in Go Kids. There's a lot out of the entire book of Jonah that we can apply, but there's a few thoughts that I wanna share with you from Jonah chapter number one. Really, really simple, but I, I think incredibly profound. The first truth from Jonah chapter one is this. 
at some point, God is going to ask you to do something that you do not want to do. Thank you to the four of you that have been there, done that, and you got the t-shirt. Let's try it again. If anybody can testify to this, give me an amen. At some point, God is going to ask you to do something that you do not want to do. Anybody know that's to be the truth? I, I think about this, that it's easy to be a follower of Christ whenever he asks us to do the things that we're okay doing. But the moment that God says, do something that will stretch us, or dare I even say, scare us, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the ultimate test of faith. And Jonah is not the only individual in the Bible that God put through this ultimate test of faith to do something that they did not want to do. I think about Moses. Moses was instructed by God to go to the Egyptian ruler called Pharaoh and to tell old Pharaoh, let God's people go. Moses didn't want to do that. I think about Abraham. Abraham was instructed by the Lord to take his son Isaac to the top of the mountain and offer his son as a sacrifice. Abraham did not want to do that. I think about Jesus, God's own son. And God says to Jesus, go to the earth, be crucified on a cross. May your blood be poured out for the salvation of all mankind. And what did Jesus say? If there's any way possible, can you take this cup of responsibility from me? All throughout the Bible, we see times where God asks individuals to do something they do not want to do. And ladies and gentlemen, if it happened in that time, it's going to happen in your time as well. There are, there are multiple stories that I could share with you about times God has asked me to do something that I did not want to do. And in that moment, that ultimate test of faith, we have a choice to make. Are we going to be obedient to what we know God is asking of us? Or are we going to choose disobedience? Now, I don't know how you think the will of God works. I don't know how you think the plan of God works. I don't know what you think about God's desire for your life. But I want you to write this down because this is so important. God's desire is not for you to live peacefully and comfortably. Hello? That's not God's plan for you. No, God is a disruptor of comfortability. God wants you, and this is his desire, it's not that you live peacefully, but that you live purposefully. It's not that you live comfortably, it's that you live courageously. God wants you, listen to me, everybody in the room, everybody watching online at Germantown, God wants you to be able to step out of the boat and walk on top of the water by faith. That's the kind of calling that God has for your life. And I don't know if this is true for you, but it is true for me time and time again. God has never called me to do something that I felt comfortable doing. God never called me to do something that I felt comfortable doing because the moment that he calls us to what's comfortable, then we don't need a dependence on him. We don't have to rely on him. No, it's easy to say yes to the things that we can control. It's easy to say yes to the things that we feel like we're able to manipulate. But the moment that God says, go, go and do something you don't want to do, ladies and gentlemen, this is the ultimate test of faith. In preparation for this message, I, I wrote in my journal this thought, and I thought, man, that's too good not to share, all right? So write this down. You can't spell calling without all in. Come on, somebody. You, you cannot spell calling without all in. Can I tell you that the type of life that God desires for you is an all-in kind of life? 
The kind of life that says, where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'll do. I will walk by faith and not by sight. Am I preaching yet? Come on now. Like this is the kind of life that God wants you to live. And you can't spell calling without all in. And God is looking for a people that will say, yes, not my will, but your will. Not my way, but your way. Come on, can I get 200 people that would agree with that? Come on now. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to step on some toes today, but we ain't there just yet. So let, let's think about this. What, what is it in this moment, in this season, that God is asking you to do that you do not want to do? Think about that. It's rhetorical. But what is he asking of you to do that is courageous and full of purpose, but you are afraid for whatever reason or rebellious, and you just don't want to do it? Let me give you a couple practical thoughts here. Maybe he's asking you to give something. Maybe he's asking of you to give something and you are fighting God about what it is you should give. I, I believe this, that, and this has happened in our life as well. I, I want to tell you a story, but I fear that you think it'll be from a place of, uh, of bragging, but it's really not. A couple of years ago, the Lord spoke to my heart um, I don't remember if I was laying in bed or getting ready for, for bed, and the Lord spoke to Martin and said, give, give your car away. And I was like, <laughs> that's Taco Bell I had for dinner. Come on, somebody. And I heard him again. I said, the Lord said, give your car away. And I, I, was, I was thinking like, okay, surely the Lord didn't say to give, to give our car away. So here's what I told the Lord. I was like, you know what? If this is really you, you tell Kimberly because I know Kimberly hears from the Lord. Come on, somebody, right? I said, you, you tell Kimberly, because if Kimberly hears that, then I know this is you, because I don't want, I don't want to do anything that's just good. I want to do things that are God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so, so I just gave it to the Lord and said, all right, you talk to Kimberly. A few days later, Kimberly said, you know, I heard the Lord say to me the other night that we should give our car away. I about shouted in my house. Come on now. We didn't, want, we didn't want to give the car away because guess what? We, we don't own Ford Auto, right? We don't have like a used car lot of vehicles. Like, well, give that one away. We'll drive this one. No, for, for a couple of months, almost, almost two months, I had to Uber around because by faith, we demonstrated what it means to do something that we don't want to do. But yet we decided in that moment, it's a choice. God said, give and you can choose. Am I going to do it? Or am I not? And can I tell you this? Because the word is so true. He says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. I don't know who I'm talking to. And if you've only been here for a short time, you don't know us quite well enough yet to really understand this. But this church is not about getting money from you. It's never about getting something from you. It's all about what God has for you. But I'm telling you, there's somebody watching online or you're sitting in Germantown or you're sitting in this room and God has been telling you to write that check and you've been fighting God at every turn. And today, God's saying, I'm telling you to do something you don't wanna do. And I just wanna give you a promise and then I'm gonna have 178 people testify to this fact through a round of applause that you can never outgive God. Come on if you know that's true today. You can't out. Give God. You just can't. Where, where's God asking you to serve? You got gifts, talents, and abilities. God's telling you to serve, and you are saying no. 
Stop throwing stones at Jonah for his rebellion when you're sitting there on your gifts and your talents. Some of you should be leading a small group. You should be serving in Go Kids. Some of you have the gift of singing and worship. And why, why aren't you up here with this team or serving at Germantown? Now, some of you can't sing and you shouldn't go there. Come on, give me a good amen right there. We'll help, we'll audition you to let you know if you can sing or not. But some of y'all, some of you can't sing, you can sing. Come on, how many of you know that's true? Why aren't you using that gift? God's given you the ability to build things and, and work on things and organize teams. And yet you're saying, no, who is God asking you to forgive? I mean, this is a hard one. And I don't know the full story. And, and I'm sure that there's a lot of layers to it. But, but can I tell you that some of you need to offer forgiveness to a, a father or to a mother that's hurt you. And I know that's tough. I know that's tough to consider. But at the end of the day, he is our heavenly father right? And, and holding on, harboring bitter and hatred is only holding you back from the purpose of God on your life and the full calling of God on your life. What if God is saying, look, forgive, just forgive them, let it go. Who's God asking you to apologize to? Because listen to me, it, it ain't always everybody else's fault. Sometimes we have done wrong and God says, swallow your pride. As a matter of fact, let me talk to all the husbands in the room. It's on you, bro. Today is on you for that fight you had last night, last week, last month. Swallow your pride, offer an apology, and watch God restore that relationship. Come on and give Jesus some praise. Come on, that's good. Yeah. Come on, if we're going to clap, let's do it well. Come on, I like that. There will be times, just like Jonah, there will be times in your life that God is going to ask you to do something you do not want to to do. What's the choice in that moment? Man, I read all these stories in the Bible and I think about, you know, if, I, if, that, if that situation was me, I would dot, dot, dot. And then I'm reminded those situations are me. They are me. And I continue at times to say no to a God that just wants us to step out on faith and say yes. You know, last Sunday we shared a lot of big wins. It was Vision Sunday. So if you weren't here, go back online and listen. But we shared some really big wins uh, that God has been doing here at Go Church. And from last week until, until last night, I've had emails and text messages and phone calls from, from uh, friends in ministry and, and leaders within our denomination and, and other church planting organizations that saw that Go Church was considered the 21st fastest growing church in America and Germantown was voted, you know, the best place of worship in 2020. And somebody asked me, what, what's the secret? What's the secret to all of that? And here, here was my honest answer. And I think that this is so appropriate to the conversation today. I said, well, let, let's, let's make one thing clear. It has nothing to do with me. Now you said that's all right, way too loud. All right. I'm just gonna be honest. It has nothing to do with me. When I walked off the platform last Sunday, I told one of our Go Team volunteers in the back who works in production, I said, I'm overwhelmed that God would use someone like me, someone that barely graduated from high school, that God would use someone like me. The only part of this God story that Kimberly and I play is our yes. That's it. The only part that we play is our first step to say, yes, God, if you can use me, 
Use me. I'm willing and I am available. Come on, that's what God desires. You know what God wants? God wants some fat people. I said it. F-A-T, faithful, available, and teachable. Y'all to tweet that today. That's good. God wants you to be faithful. God wants you to be available. And God wants you to be teachable. All right, I got to go. Watch this. The second truth is this. You'll always be able to find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Uh, just about any time in my life where I've chosen disobedience, the enemy has always provided a boat named disobedience. Jonah, instructed by God to go to Nineveh. And the Bible says that he bought a ticket to Tarshish. I don't know if you know this or not. I, I didn't know this until I began to study that a little bit. Tarshish is 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. One commentary says that it would have taken Jonah and the mode of transportation sailing on a boat one year, one year to reach Tarshish. There will always be a boat headed in the wrong direction. There will always be a boat headed towards disobedience. There will always be a boat headed in rebellion. And I don't know who this is for, but if there's been any point of the four truths I'm going to give you today, this is the one that I've really just been praying over because there's somebody in this room and there's somebody in Germantown or online that you've been running. You've been running. You've been running from God's call. You've been running from God's plan. God told you to do something and you bought a ticket and you're trying to get as far out of town as you know how. God's, God's given you anointing. He's given you purpose. He's given you a plan. And God has given you free will. And you've made the decision to run. Now, this testimony is my testimony, but I believe it's true for you as well. You can run for a little while, but you can't run forever. Come on, give, give God a better amen than that. You, you can run for a little while, but you can't run forever. I know that when you were kids and maybe even adults, you played hide and seek. You can't hide from God. No, he's running after you. He's going to chase you down and find you. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. He said, if you know the good that you ought to do and you choose not to do it, that is a sin. And some of us are living in sin today because of the rebellion in our life. We do not want God to be the father of our heart and our lives, to be the ruler of everything. And so you've been running. You've been running. Listen, when, when my mom was carrying me, uh, she was pregnant. It, she told me the story multiple times as someone prophesied over her that if I would give my life to the Lord, that God would use that baby, me, in supernatural ways. So when I became a teenager and into, you know, adolescence and young adult life, I ran from God. I mean, I ran from God. I had deep conviction in my heart and deep conviction in my life. I mean, my mom and dad, they, they, they brought us up in church. I always tell people that when I was growing up, we had a drug problem in our family. 
My mom and dad drugged me to church every time the doors were open. Come on, how many of you can testify to that? Like dragging me to church. And, and we went to church and I had, I had deep conviction, but, but I didn't want to go all in because I knew that if I went all in with God, that I was going to have to give up some things that this world offered me. And so listen to me, I ran and I ran hard and I bought a ticket to Tarshish <laughs> and only by the grace of God, only by the mercy of God, Am I even alive today? I can't even count the number of funerals that I attended as I stood over the casket of friends that were running as well, but they lost their life because of addiction or sin or some type of stronghold. And yet God's grace was upon my life. And I remember the day that I got saved. I remember it vividly. It's only one of two times in my life that I've ever heard the actual auditory voice of God, where God, I heard him over the loudspeaker of heaven only two times, and both times I heard my name, JC. JC. Because the sheep always know the shepherd's voice. And I heard God, I heard God call me by my name, and I heard in that moment through the Holy Spirit that time was running out. That I kept running and I continued to play games. And I'm not trying to scare you into a relationship with God. That's not my style of preaching, but I'm being very, very honest. You need to quit toying with God's grace and with his mercy. Are you hearing me? And in that moment, God said, time is running out. I'm giving you this moment, this moment to say yes. And I remember in that moment, man, I cried out to God and it was the ugly cry. Come on now, ladies, you know what I'm talking about where the mascara is running. Come on now, fellas, where you hope nobody's looking, right? I mean, it's the ugly cry. And God was just stirring something in my heart. And when I got up from that moment, not every day has been perfect. God, forgive me if I ever pretend that it is. But every day I've said, I'm all in here. I'm all in. No more running after the things of this world. I'm going to start running after you, Jesus. And listen to me. That was the greatest decision that I have ever made. Because in that moment, I came into alignment with the assignment of God that was on my life. And the windows of heaven opened up. Because when you are in alignment with assignment, God's blessing begins to flow down. And look at all the good things that God has done. And I'm just so thankful today. But it caused me the moment to consider, am I going to keep running? Am I going to keep running after the world? Chasing after all of the things that the world offers? I know what I ought to be doing. And yet because of my rebellious life, I was living in sin. And listen to me. Time and time again, you're going to come to church. And you're going to feel the Holy Spirit during worship. You're going to get a, a word from God during the message. And you're going to say, okay, now I'm going to choose the right thing. And when you leave here, there will be a boat outside called disobedience. There will be a train right outside. Like, All aboard. Choo, choo. And you got a choice to make. To either say yes to God or yes to the world. You can run for a little while, but you can't run forever. And I pray that today, and I'm going to get off this second truth and move to the third, but I pray that today you would make the choice to go all in with Jesus. To go all in with Jesus. It's the greatest choice that you could ever make. It's the greatest decision that I've ever made too. Do you agree with that? Come on and give Jesus some praise if you agree with it. Come on. couple more truths here. The third truth is this. If you keep running, if, you, if that's the choice to keep running, 
God, God might send a storm to get your attention. I, I, wanted, I wanted to say God will send a storm to get your attention, but I can't tell you what I know that God's going to do because that's not my place. But I know in my own life, every time that I made the decision to jump on the boat of disobedience, to live a life of rebellion, there has always been a storm that has showed up in my life to get my attention. Now, let me give you some little theology here, a little clarity on the theology. I don't believe that every bad thing is because of God. I don't believe that. But I do believe wholeheartedly with every fiber in my being that God will use storms to wake you up. Because, listen to me, it's not on the TV, but I want you to write this down. God would rather you live in a storm than you live in sin. God would rather you live in a storm than you live in sin. And if the choice is disobedience, if the choice is rebellion, don't be surprised if a storm shows up. And here's the fourth truth, and then we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. But watch, that storm might be exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. Because you can run for a little while, but you can't run forever. Some of you today, online, Germantown in this room, you're in the worst financial storm of your life. <laughs> right now, today, you're in the worst relational storm of your life. You're in the worst spiritual storm of your life. What if, what if it's God using the storm to get your attention, to encourage you to stop running from him and to start running to him? Come on, I, I hope that you get that. God will... Why? Why? Because God loves you enough to do whatever it takes to save you from the life of sin and rebellion and disobedience that you live in. It's a beautiful part of the sovereignty of God. I know the storms can be frustrating. We've all faced those storms where we felt aggravated and confused at why God was allowing the storm to happen. But again, God loves you enough to make sure that you are uncomfortable enough to get your attention off of what the world offers you and to get your attention on him. Some of you today, I don't know who this is, but man, if it's one person, God, let it be. Some of you today are about to say yes to God, to whatever it is he's been speaking, and the entire trajectory of your life will be forever changed. So here's a thought. I always close with a question. I'm going to give it to you. you got a choice to make. And it's pretty clear, the choice. is pretty clear. You can either obey or you can disobey. And if you obey God, listen to me, if you obey God, God, God will lead you and guide you. And if, if my life could ever be an encouragement or a testimony to you, let it be this. If God can, if God can use me because of my yes, God can absolutely use you because of your yes. And if you choose God and you choose to be obedient, and you're going to see what happens throughout the remaining three chapters of Jonah once God got his attention. Now, God's not done working on Jonah. we got a few days next week that we'll talk about where he spent in the belly of the fish. But at the, at the end of it, when you say yes to God, you'll see how God uses you to do supernatural things things that you never even thought possible with your life. I'm talking to you. Yeah, little old you 
that you thought had no reason and no purpose and no meaning, if you say yes to God and you obey God, God will do something supernatural with your life. But if you choose to disobey, and it's only two choices. You, you, you can't ride the fence on this one. If you choose to disobey, don't be surprised at the storms that come because God wants to get your attention so that you change direction and you start to depend on him. You exit off of the boat of disobedience and you say yes. Last thought. Again, write it down if you didn't get it a moment ago. God would rather you live in a storm than you live in sin. So the choice today is yours. Let me pray for you. Lord, I have been preaching long enough in my life to know when the enemy is fighting a word. Ah, and I feel that today. And I just want to remind the devil that he should have come a little bit stronger. There is victory. And your word never returns void. I'm thankful that today you brought out such truth from the first chapter of Jonah. And I can feel the tension of the individuals that are wrestling with the life of disobedience. That's hard preaching. That's not easy preaching. God, you didn't call me to preach messages that would make everybody happy and comfortable. You called us to preach messages that would bring truth and an opportunity for repentance and redirection. And so for whoever is here today that is wrestling with this word because you've been speaking clearly about what they need to do in their life, let today be the moment that they're at the crossroad and they say, yes, they choose obedience, obedience, obedience today whether that's saying yes to a relationship with you, yes to sacrifice that you've been calling them to, yes to an area of serving to use their gifts and talents, yes to offering forgiveness, yes to taking the first step to apologize, yes to the job, yes to the relationship. Come on, if we're gonna go there, let's go there. Yes, yes to the business idea, yes to the book deal, whatever it might be, God, Lord, I pray that today they would choose obedience, that walls would come down and they would survey their life and see what a life of disobedience looks like. So God, speak. Only you can do this, Holy Spirit. Speak. Touch the hearts of your people. And through the decision that we make to go all in, may you, Jesus, get all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And let the church say amen. Come on and give Jesus the best praise you've got. Come on, church.